2: is a choice this is battleground america here's tara servatius president-elect biden said he has great confidence in hunter whose overseas business dealings are under fbi criminal investigation he is the smartest man i know i mean I'm afraid of pure intellectual capacity
3: so hunter is the smartest man our president knows
2: He is the smartest man I know. I mean, in pure pure intellectual capacity.
3: But Fox News reporter Peter Doocy, who asked him the most obvious question on the planet after the rest of the press corps neglected to, is one stupid son of a bitch. Everybody got that straight? Do you think inflation is
2: a political liability ahead of the midterms? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch.
3: But but, but, the liberal media said, oh, but Trump was so mean. He called the media the enemy of the people. CNN is already making the argument in an idiotic piece today called why Biden's son of a bitch moment is nothing like Trump's attacks on reporters. Yes, that is the actual headline. Here's some of their examples of Trump being worse. I say that you're a terrible reporter, he told NBC's Peter Alexander. You are a rude, terrible person. Trump told CNN's Jim Acosta. Yeah, but here's the difference. In both cases, they were asking him about Russia collusion, which it turns out is the biggest hoax in modern media history. Not real, totally made up by the FBI, Hillary, and the media. So, yeah, that'd make you a terrible person if you ran with it as your main story for three years. Peter Ducey, on the other hand, was asking about something that actually is going on out of control inflation that we haven't seen in 40 years. And Biden was outraged that he actually got a real question about it. You know, the thing, the thing, the inflation. Look, folks, let me set this up. The stock market had crashed down yesterday. It tanked, nailing the retirements and investments of the middle class, especially hard. Inflation in polls right now is the number one issue, the top concern for Americans. It's not fake, like Russia collusion. It actually is happening. And yet, incredibly, the whole question and answer session goes by yesterday without a single question about it, literally as it's crashing the stock market. So what did Biden really telegraph there? If you so much as ask me about the number one concern of Americans, the thing they're talking about around their tables and worrying about as they lay in bed at night, unable to fall asleep. If you ask that, you're a rude, stupid SOB. Folks, this is Joe Biden. Remember when Rush Limbaugh used to call him bite me? That's the real Joe Biden. If you have any concern at all for yourself caused by my policies... Write me. All Ducey said was whatever American wants to know. Will you take a question about inflation? How do you think it will impact you in the midterms? This is such a revealing incident. In just one sentence, Joe Biden revealed how his administration, he and they think in Washington, to ask about something that is devastating, the number one thing on the minds of the American people to bother him. To take even a few seconds of Joe's time to ask about the most important thing Americans tell pollsters is on their mind is thought to be stupid in Washington. You'd have to be dumb. You should know not to do that. But while we're on that market crash, what caused it? The mainstream media and the mainstream financial media is not talking about one of the major factors at all, which is how you know it's super important. This particular factor has massive implications for the markets going forward, but also for the supply lines. Do I have your attention now? Last week and Monday were volatile, but let's look at what came out since the beginning of January. Let's go all the way back to January 3rd and look at this headline. U.S. manufacturing slumps to weakest since 2020 as shortages hit production and delays depressed orders. That was the first hint something was wrong. But this, this was the doozer. It came out January 18th from the New York Federal Reserve Bank. See, up until now, the markets have largely been operating on bogus predictions of growth that way overshot the mark. Now they're settling into the reality that all the prognosticators have been not just wrong, but like, Way wrong. And that's the direction this Federal Reserve Bank report pointed it. After 18 months of positive readings indicated growth or relative growth, maybe slowing a little bit, but still growth, in the manufacturing uh, business, in general business conditions of the New York Fed's Empire State Manufacturing Survey, something happened. Something the media is not talking about. You'll see why when I explain it to you. Yep, the, the New York Fed's Empire State Manufacturing Survey fell a steep 33 shocking points to negative, negative 0.7. Now, economists had forecast that the index would decline slightly from December, from about 31.9 in December to about 26. But that's still in positive territory. It means we're, you know, we're still manufacturing in this com- country. Instead of declining from 31 to 26, it declined from thirty-one. To negative negative point seven, Holy cow. Okay. So um, what's causing this? Well, there's some employment issues and um, things like that. But what's the main thing? There's also some difficulty getting supplies for some stuff that they need. So that's going on. Stuff you've heard of. But what was the main thing? Orders. There really aren't a lot of those. Not a lot of orders? Not a lot of orders. Now, people don't know this about America, but about roughly 60% of the stuff we consume here, it, depending on the quarter, it goes between, you know, 60 and 70%. Usually it's around like two-thirds. Uh, about that, the, that chunk of stuff, we make it here. We, we actually do. The rest is imported, right? So if um, there aren't a lot of orders, not a lot of stuff's going to get made, right? I and mean, I'm just breaking this down very simplistically, okay? that's what that Fed survey indicates. Nobody seems to have seen this coming. And if there's not a lot of orders and not a lot of stuff's going to get made, what's going to be in the supply lines five to six months from now? Just anybody care to ask? Or No, I guess, okay, no, we don't. Um, that is a big freaking deal. And that's why they're not talking about it. That's how things work in our sick, twisted society now. They wait till the absolute last moment to tell you it's a crisis. This effectively equals... The complete erasure of the Trump manufacturing gains, which were still largely intact when Trump turned the Oval Office over to the new resident. Economist Steve Cortez nails this on War Room. The implications of it, they're staggering. And the Wall Street types who have lived in a Biden financial media induced bubble of delusion saw that bubble pop. Over the last week, Steve Cortez explains what happened on War Room going into that week of volatility and the one day crash on Monday.
4: Today from the New York Fed, uh, similar survey, except this one focuses on manufacturing. This is manufacturing for the state of New York. It's known as the Empire Survey. It's been around for decades. A lot of people on Wall Street pay a lot of attention to the Empire Survey from the New York Fed on manufacturing data. Now, unfortunately... Like that services sector index, we have the same kind of gap, mind the gap, meaning expectations are way above reality, unfortunately, in Biden's miserable economic quagmire. But even worse than that, I think, even worse than the gap on this chart, for those who can see it, it has gone negative, meaning it is below zero, it is minus. 0.7% New York Fed manufacturing survey. And it has not been below zero, Steve, this is important, that chart goes back two years. It has not been below zero since the spring of 2020 lockdowns. So all of the gains, all of the recovery off of the spring of 2020 lockdowns, um, all of that goodwill, all of that economic activity, all of the prosperity that was being built in the Trump boom 2.0, which did carry into the first few months of the Biden administration, that has been squandered. And this isn't my opinion again. This is from the New York Fed. We have gone negative on manufacturing in this country for the first time since the spring of 2020 lockdown. So, that is, you know, look, we like to connect the dots right on this show, Steve. Let's connect the dots between what's happening, what's going on on Main Street as revealed by these charts we're showing. And then, what is part of the cause? There's, there's several causes, but part of the cause, the absolutely draconian lockdowns and the draconian virus restrictions how bad
3: is it countrywide what will the supply chains look like in five to six months if this is the trend we've totally turned the clock back essentially erased all the trump manufacturing gains holy cow which is why no one's talking about it it's the truth and we avoid that like the
0: plague
3: in Biden's America. Heck, you're thought to be stupid by the president if you even so much as ask about anything like that. Which brings us to the next remarkable thing that we've seen so far this week in shoot. It's only Tuesday. Something incredibly historic just happened. We, not, we may not even be able to see it at the time. Big historical things are often like that. And then you look back and it's a major macro moment. We just saw this in Europe because something amazing just happened as far as europe is concerned and the big player powered nations of europe america just effectively lost its superpower status the new superpower with the big sway over europe is no it's not china it's russia last century in europe was the american century in terms of superpower influence and dominance we have just begun the russian century in europe it is astonishing This will be the week, in Putin's history anyway, when they write his biography in which they credit him for cementing Russia's superpower status. At least as far as Europe is concerned, we are now persona non grata, a donor nation and a sad pretender. We're sending 8,000 troops just to make it look like we're still relevant. But we know who's boss and it ain't us. Putin bought that for a few million dollars when he bribed Hunter. He's now got the goods in the Biden family. Biden will fall in line and do exactly what Russia wants. The only thing holding back the invasion of Ukraine was that Russia wanted the Nord 2 pipeline. Biden gave it to him in exchange for nothing. Well, the three million dollars that Hunter got. That was illegal. But yeah, that's all we got. And then Biden has stood aside and sent Anthony Blinken, our secretary of state, out to make absurd statements like... Oh, yeah. Uh, Sanctions? You mean like on the Nord 2? Nah, we're not going to do that till after the invasion. With the Ukrainian president screaming, well, wait, that's useless. If you do it after the invasion, it doesn't do anything. Exactly. If the future of the Nord 2 was in doubt, then Putin couldn't invade Ukraine. But it's not. Biden gave him that. And he's rolling on. Now, if you know anything about the EU, you know the EU is ruled with an iron fist by Germany, with France as a sort of secondary player. Who does Germany answer to now? Effectively, used to be us, was for 50 years after the Cold War. But now, it's Russia. Russia wants to invade, and Germany is right on board, cutting off munitions to Ukraine, even flights. The best discussion on this, I think, was had by Senator Ben Sass on Hugh Hewitt's show, where he asks... If Germany is even really a member of NATO anymore, effectively, now nah, sure NATO voted about uh, against the Ukraine invasion, but they didn't mean it. You got to watch what Germany does. And Germany, which was on Biden's essentially Biden's green energy plan, yeah, it kneecapped manufacturing and led to rolling blackouts. So they decided to get off that plan and adopt natural gas. So. Putin will be supplying that. He already supplies a lot of it for Germany through the Nord 1. The Nord 2 will cement his power over Germany and over the EU in general. Here's what that sounds like. This is an incredible conversation between Republican Senator Ben Sass and Hugh Hewitt. That absolutely nails it. We're watching the rise of the Russian superpower. We simply have nothing left to offer them as a superpower and they know it
2: that you have germany essentially working um on behalf of the russians to block uh different systems and weapons and nobody knows who's leading any of the alliances right now because the biden administration has gone so vacuous that was my second question has germany effectively left nato and i am deadly serious if they are preventing overflights of british supplies to ukraine and they're refusing to allow the Baltic states to send the mortars that Germany sold them to Ukraine, they are effectively returning to the, to the position of Central Europe arbitrator uh, between Russia and the West. They have left NATO, I believe. It, it certainly feels, in a de facto way, maybe not a de jure way, but in a de facto way, it feels like Germany has tried to move to a pre-NATO uh, time in history, and obviously that's a terrible time. I mean, the the American people have not been brought along. It's a failure of leadership uh, and our allies to do it. And the problem we face now is that the administration is so many months late to this conversation that you have Germany essentially working um, on behalf of the Russians to block uh, different systems and weapons. And nobody knows who's leading any of the alliances right now because the Biden administration has gone so vacuous.
3: Do you remember the terror that Trump, you know, being an idiot, would effectively destroy NATO, that it would fall apart on his watch? It just did, under Biden's watch. See, NATO is our baby. That's why we always paid everybody else's bills and they gave us lip service. We're still paying, but we get nothing for it. Russia is the new super in power charge. And the purpose of NATO is, I don't know, actually. So literally in less than a year, Joe Biden has unraveled NATO, which we were told Trump was going to do, and squandered all of the manufacturing gains we were told Trump was never going to have. Manufacturing gains he miraculously produced anyway while fighting all of Washington. It was a miracle and now it's gone. But Trump's economic framework that produced those gains still hangs on. Barely. Right now, there are 140 members of Congress who signed a thing this week saying they want to remove the Trump tariffs off Chinese goods. That's a big friggin' disaster to do to American manufacturers right now, especially with the supply chains out of China so wobbly. But they're determined in Congress, and this is, by, by the way, bipartisan, to erase any gains we got and hand them back to China. This is how D.C. operates. But the good news is the Democrats don't yet have the majorities to undo the whole Trump economic framework, particularly his tax plan that allows American businesses to repatriate and bring home the money they make abroad. What does this mean? We're still built slim, built for recovery. We might even have manufacturing recovery if we'd stop the covid fakery, the constant shutdowns in blue states, the hysteria. It'd be easy to do. All we have to do to make covid go away and I've said this many times is to begin honestly coding the case numbers, the hospitalizations and the deaths. They're actually much lower. We just code them differently from we do from what we do other medical maladies to make them look much bigger. We could do this. We could also stop killing people who have covid in the hospital. Wait, what? Yes, killing people with remdesivir. That was the other big reveal this week. Senator Ron Johnson had an incredibly illuminating COVID discussion with doctors. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, but I need a mainstream media source to do it. That's our corporate policy. I have one now because it ran on C-SPAN. So here we go. If you get COVID and the hospital can get you to test positive, they get paid. If they can get you to check in, they get paid. If they can get you on uh, on a ventilator, they get paid for that step too. If you die, they get extra money. Wait, the hospitals get extra money from the federal government if you die? Isn't that an incentive to kill you? It is. And that's how it's functioned. I kid you not. This is going to be the scandal of the decade, if not the century. What's a good way to kill people? With remdesivir, made by Gilead, It's incredibly toxic. The first trial they ran of it, they had to stop because 54% of the patients died. It's what they're using to treat COVID right now. Why? If the hospital can put you on remdesivir before you die, they get paid by the federal government for that too. And then when you die of COVID, ostensibly of COVID, it's pretty much the remdesivir killing you. Or the remdesivir and the COVID. Whatever the case, if you die... After they put you on remdesivir, they get yet another payment from the federal government. And it just so happens, conveniently, the remdesivir, it kills you. It's toxic. Wait, what? Yeah, this is the final nail in the coffin, folks. Someday the truth will be known here. This was an absolute genocide, a total holocaust, with hospitals incentivized by the federal government to give people a hormone called dexamethasone, and a medicine caused remdes- called remdesivir that together causes toxic reactions, renal failure, and yes, death. What happens when you give someone remdesivir and dexamethasone? In about a third of the cases, their lungs fill. And what do they need? The ventilator. They need to be intubated. Oh, by the way, the federal government gives hospitals an additional payment for that too. That's right. If you can get somebody on a vent... You win. Cha-ching, cha-ching. What are you saying, Tara? I'm saying they're killing people on purpose. Now, the extent to which the hospitals and the doctors understand this or care, I don't know. But they're absolutely killing people. And they get paid every step of the way. This is why when you check into the hospital, they give you nothing for uh, COVID until you're sick enough to have the remdesivir, which inevitably floods your lungs and leads to your intubation. Do I have your attention now? I should. They've killed tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands this way. Someday the world will know. But yesterday, it finally appeared on C-SPAN. Some discussion of the remdesivir holocaust. It's a nightmare. Now, notice what happens in the treatment system up until then. Doctors destroyed If they want to try to treat you before you get to the hospital with things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, there's so many of them out there now. They'll destroy you as a doctor if you write scripts for that or you promote it publicly. They want to make sure that you end up in the hospital rather than treated so they can hit you with the remdesivir. Now, it's not that the hospitals want to kill patients with remdesivir. It's that in some ways they don't really have a choice. See, The way that it works is they get a payment every step of the way from about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars per dead covid patient in some states like Tennessee, all the way on up to three hundred thousand in others um, for doing this every step of the way, as I've explained. However, much like the vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, if they use remdesivir, guess what they get? Complete legal protection. No lawsuit. No civil liability. Why? Because the Health and Human Services Secretary waived it. So they are treating people this way because at the moment, if they treat them with something else, you know, like something that actually worked, um, but the person had damages or died anyway, guess what? They're open to a lawsuit. Kill them with remdesivir. Hey, it's a good day. You got a big payday from the federal government and no one can sue you. You did absolutely no wrong. No one can find evidence you did wrong. But the federal government is killing this way. I'm convinced to up the COVID death toll in order to get the totalitarian powers. Anyway, I'll let Dr. Paul Merrick explain it, as he did on C-SPAN at Senator Ron Johnson's hearing. You'll hear a lot more about this in the coming years.
5: If, if you look at the four independent studies, including the large study by the WHO, It shows the opposite effect. Remdesivir increases the risk of death. Let me say that again. Remdesivir increases the risk of death by 3%. It increases your chances of renal failure by 20%. This is a toxic drug. But just to make the situation even more preposterous, the federal government will give hospitals a 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill if they prescribe remdesivir to Medicare patients. The federal government is incentivizing hospitals to prescribe a medication which is toxic. So it should be noted that remdesivir costs about $3,000 a course. Dr. Corey spoke about ivermectin. Ivermectin reduces the risk of death by about 50%. It costs the WHO two cents. Two cents. So as regards dexamethasone, this is the wrong drug in the wrong dose for the wrong duration of time. Yet every clinician in this country will absurdly use this homeopathic dose of dexamethasone. Why? Because the NIH tells them to do this. So what the NIH and other agencies have ignored are multiple FDA approved drugs. These are FDA approved drugs. These are not experimental drugs which are cost-effective and safe and have unequivocally, unequivocally been shown to reduce the death of patients in the ICU and in hospital.
3: So let's review. Our government, the Pentagon, spends $40 million developing a killer virus that was either let out or conveniently gets out. They then want us to take a shot that doesn't work. They refuse us treatment and... And demonize and brutalize any doctor who tries to treat it effectively. I treated my COVID with ivermectin. It was an incredibly powerful drug. By the way, ivermectin also wipes out most viruses that cause sinus uh, problems, not just COVID. But that's another podcast for another day. So they deny you treatment until they can get you to the hospital. That's the purpose of the denial of treatment. Then they get you to the hospital and they put you on two drugs, dexamethasone and remdesivir. That together cause renal failure and the flooding of your lungs. That then causes you intubation. But to make sure hospitals kill you because they would quickly abandon this if there weren't any financial incentive, they pay them for every step along the process until death. And then... They count you in their death count and they use that to get the powers to shut down cities, to shut down schools, to shut down businesses, to act like dictators. It's an incredible story. And someday, I promise you, everyone will know.